You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet The Firsts. أعوذ بالله السميرة من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعدوان إلا عن الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا الحمد لله رب العالمين Last week we talked about حب الأنصار من الإيمان that the love of the Ansar is from Iman and we mentioned of course that الإيمان بخاري رحمه الله تعالى in his صحيح actually put this as one of the first أحاديث in the book of Iman, before the entire kitab of Manaqib al-Ansar, the virtues of the Ansar. This is a love story between a people and their Prophet Now, just like when we spoke about the Muhajireen, there are a few ways to cover seerah, right? So when it comes to seerah, you could either talk about the seerah in one linear fashion and include the stories of multiple people with the seerah of the Prophet while talking about it in order of the historical events. Or you can tell the story over and over and over and over again through the eyes of a people. And now I know, you know, Alhamdulillah, I mean, I can hear it in some of your voices when you talk about as-sabiqoon al-awwaloon, the firsts from the Muhajireen, you understand the distinctions of the Hijrah to Abyssinia, those that made the Hijrah twice, those that went to Medina, those that were the people of the Safina, the people of the ship, uh, because you hear it over and over again, right? So it's like you're constantly approaching the Prophet ﷺ through a different set of eyes. So the beauty of this story is that up until Ramadan, you're going to hear about the Hijrah every single time in some capacity but through a different set of eyes, through a different pair of eyes and through a different experience. But the Prophet ﷺ coming to Medina again and again and again and again, until inshallah ta'ala, not only the historical facts become solidified in your memory, but bidnillahi ta'ala, the longing and the experience becomes solidified in your heart. Now, there's, there are two people, and they're not the only two people, but that I wish if, if I could have them write autobiographies, it would be these two people, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, without any comparison whatsoever, right? Imagine if Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha could author an autobiography for us through her eyes. It would be incredible. So much of Islam literally rests in her lap, right? She saw so much of it. And bi ta'ala, one day we will hear our mother tell us those evening stories in Jannah, bi ta'ala. We'll get to hear it from her mouth, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala, radiallahu ta'ala, an ummina Khadija, radiallahu ta'ala, anha. And this other person, As'ad ibn Zurar, radiallahu ta'ala, anha. And you'll understand why, inshallah ta'ala, by the end of this lecture. He's not someone who has an extensive biography in the books, but he's someone whose role is foundational to the establishment of Islam, not just in Medina, but in the world. Because if Islam is not established in Medina, then what does that mean for the rest of the world and for the rest of the times? And so let's talk about this man, As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Umama. As'ad ibn Zurara, is anyone in here named As'ad by the way? We got our As'ads, where are the As'ads? 
No Asads? No one? Someone has an Asad in their WhatsApp group though, right? I don't know an Asad, right? So some people that are named Asad will often get called another name by accident. What is that? Asad. You shouldn't be too upset. Because actually, Asad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu, it's narrated as Asad ibn Zurara as well as Asad ibn Zurara. Obviously, they mean two different things. But if your name is Asad, then you get tired of being called Asad sometimes. Even Asad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, is also narrated in the books as Asad ibn Zurara ibn Udas. His, his, his kunya is Abu Umama al-Ansari from Khazraj, from the sub-tribe of Al-Najjar. Al-Najjar, the sub-tribe of Khazraj. I don't expect you to get all of these names down right away, but inshallah ta'ala, you can go back and watch the lecture and you can catch them. But he is the son of, obviously his father named Zurara, Zurara, and Zurara would die before Islam. So this is his father. His mother is a woman by the name of Su'ad bint Rafi'. Su'ad bint Rafi'. And both of them are from the tribe of Banu Najjar. And as I said, Banu Najjar is a sub-tribe of Khazraj. What were the two main tribes of the Ansar? Aus and Khazraj. Which one was bigger, Aus or Khazraj? Khazraj significantly bigger. In fact, if you said Khazraj, referring to the people of Yathrib, it included Aus and Khazraj. Remember, they're related. Aus is the smaller tribe, and they have a, a severe adawa, a severe enmity between them. Most of their fathers have killed each other off in the Bu'ath Wars. So Khazraj has a lot of big sub-tribes. The biggest of them, or one of the biggest of them, is this tribe of Banu Najjar. So As'ad anhu, is from this tribe of Banu Najjar. He has two brothers, Sa'ad and Mas'ud, and two sisters, Al-Fari'ah and Al-Zaghibah. All of them became Muslim after him. So his mother, in fact, as well as all of his siblings embraced Islam, but subhanAllah, very quiet. One liner, if even in the, in, in the, in the books of, uh, of Seer, right? That this person was said to have been at Uhud, this person was said to have been at Badr, and so on and so forth. But nothing really about them. So they live very quiet lives. As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu being the only prominent person amongst them. As we said, his father passed away before Islam. He was married to a woman by the name of Amira or Umayra bin Sahl ibn Tha'laba, also from Banu Najjar. So everyone's from Banu Najjar. Okay, everyone here is from Banu Najjar. And they had three young daughters. So As'ad is the father of three daughters, Al-Fari'ah, Habiba, and Kapsha. Al-Fari'ah, Habiba, and Kapsha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. So who are Banu Najjar? And what is the Prophet ﷺ's relationship to this particular tribe to understand the seerah in a richer way? And uh, Sister Firyal asked me about it last week. So alhamdulillah, we get to go a little bit deeper into it, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, what's the Prophet ﷺ's name? Don't just say Muhammad. Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim. All right. Abdul Muttalib's actual name was what? Shayba. Shayba ibn Hashim. Now, Shayba ibn Hashim, Abdul Muttalib being his nickname, Shayba ibn Hashim, his mother was a woman by the name of Salma bint Amr. Salma bint Amr. And Salma bint Amr was from this tribe of Banu Najjar. Salma bint Amr was from this tribe of Banu Najjar. So that means that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's 
great-grandmother is from Banu Najjar, okay? And in fact, when Abdul Muttalib was, was born, his father immediately, when his mother was, was carrying him, uh, went on a business trip to Asham. And he died in Asham in a very specific place. Does anyone know where? Test in your history now. Gaza. Okay? So Hashim in Gaza dies in Gaza, what is today Gaza. And Abdul Muttalib, Shayba, is born in Yathrib at the time. And in fact, he spends his childhood in Yathrib before it was Medina. So Abdul Muttalib grew up at least the first seven or eight years of his life in this place, in this town of Yathrib. And so he had a special allegiance to his mother's side, to Banu Najjar. Okay? Now, this is a relationship with the Prophet ﷺ that's going to materialize in the Hijrah. All right? Through his maternal side. So they are technically, when he says Salaisam, that they are my uncles, my maternal uncles. This is what the Prophet ﷺ is referring to about Banu Najjar. So what's As'ad's story and how does he rise to prominence in this way? As'ad, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was not an old man, but none of the chiefs of the Ansar were, right? The old people all killed each other off. As'ad, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, however, was known for his wisdom, known for his good character, also, some of the books say that he may have been a monotheist his entire time. He didn't really get into idol worship, that's for sure. So he was not a staunch believer in idols. Whether he worshipped as a matter of ritual or not before Islam, none of that is, is really documented either way. So even if the books mention in an unsourced way that he was a monotheist, the point is he doesn't really have a staunch connection to the religion of his forefathers, and in fact the ways of their forefathers. Remember, people of Yathrib have the opposite psychology of the people of Mecca. They're exhausted from the ways of their forefathers, right? So As'ad, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was a person who also, on behalf of his people, dealt significantly with the Jewish tribes that had settled in Yathrib. And he keeps on hearing them talking about a prophet that is to come. So he's familiar with what those Jewish tribes that have settled in Medina are waiting for. He doesn't have a particular strong attachment to idol worship or the idols of his time or the pagan ways of his time. And he rises to a place of great respectability at a very young age because of his mannerisms. Mild mannerisms, good character, not hot-headed, looking for peace and reconciliation. He also is strategically placed in, in, in the making of what would eventually be peace amongst the people. His cousin from his mom's side is Sa'd ibn Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu from the other tribe. So he has a maternal connection to Sa'd ibn Mu'adh from Al-Aws. So there is the, the makings of a peace treaty through the Prophet ﷺ are really already coming into be, uh, being through this man, through the very existence of this man. Now, when does he become appointed the chief of Banu Najjar? About 10 years after Bi'rtha, 10 years after the Prophet ﷺ receives revelation. So this would have been 620, the year 620. Sa'ad, uh, I'm sorry, As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu becomes the chief of his tribe. This entails him now to officially speak on behalf of one of the largest sub-tribes of Khazraj and by extension really become the most respectable amongst Khazraj period. So really a notable chief amongst Yathrib in general, right? But again, a notable chief there is not the same as a notable chief in Mecca. But 
Look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets the scene. As'ad, obviously now, has to represent his people on the days of Hajj and the festivals and in all of the important meetings. And you know how old he was? By extension, so there, there isn't an actual birth date, but by extension of measuring him as the youngest of the people at Bay'at al-Aqaba, he's probably about 18, 19, 20 years old max. He's a young, young, young man. Let's take the oldest, let's say he's 20 years old, all right? 19, 20 years old. But he's the chief of his people, respected, and this is obviously not the same as the people of Mecca. And what would happen is that often the leaders of Mecca, the elders of Mecca, were in business with some of these people in Yathrib, and they would also solve some of their disputes. They were looked at as arbiters and people of uh, greater status, right, who could solve some of their disputes. So the first time he heard of the Prophet ﷺ was actually when he was seeking the assistance of Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah who was, of course, one of the staunch opponents of the Prophet ﷺ and the elders of the people of Mecca, and someone who would come against the Prophet ﷺ on the day of Badr and, of course, die as an opponent of the Prophet ﷺ. So As'ad and a man by the name of Zakwan ibn Abdul Qais. Zakwan ibn Abdul Qais are resolving a dispute with Utbah ibn Rabi'ah in Mecca, and the first time he hears about the Prophet ﷺ, he hears about him in a derogatory way from Utbah. But he could decipher when Utbah was talking about the Prophet ﷺ in that derogatory way, what the Prophet ﷺ was calling to, this idea of oneness of God, this idea of an extension of the true Abrahamic way. So subhanAllah, that's why sometimes Islamophobes end up exposing people to Islam by accident. Right? Like Bilal heard about it from his master, <laughs> you know, first. Right? So sometimes in their insulting the Prophet, they end up introducing people to the Prophet. So this is the first way that the seeds are planted for him of an interesting new way, an interesting call that resembles the call of those Jewish tribes in Medina. Then, of course, the incident that we spoke about last week. The Prophet ﷺ going around on the days of Hajj looking for an audience from all of these people that are traveling to him. And he doesn't look past the six young men amongst them was As'ad ibn Zurara anhu, And he speaks to them about Islam. And even the way the Prophet ﷺ, uh, addresses them, he says, are you the allies of the Jews from Medina? And they say, yes. And the Prophet ﷺ says, sit, let me talk to you a bit. And their response was, what? Let us precede them in embracing this prophet. Let's hasten and embrace this prophet. We knew a prophet was coming. Let's hasten and embracing this prophet. And of the six, you know, there's always got to be one person that takes the lead, right? You know, six people could be feeling good about themselves and about the situation, but you're naturally going to look towards your leader. As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu is that leader. As'ad is the one that verbalizes what everyone is feeling. As'ad is the one that is trusted amongst them, even though he's the youngest one. They're all kind of looking at him to see how he's receiving this message from the Prophet And As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, imagine, subhanAllah, the one who guides to good. 
كفاعله is like the one who does As'ad is the first one to extend his belief to the Prophet and to extend his allegiance to the Prophet So he said six people, these six young men start this motion, right? And then they bring how many people to take a pledge with the Prophet The first bay'ah. Twelve. I want you to remember this. So six becomes twelve in total. These twelve take their pledge with the Prophet They say, send with us someone to teach us Islam. Okay? The Prophet sends Mus'ab. Very good. To Al-Madinah. They come back and they are in the second bay'ah. This is when they're the group of seventy taking the second bay'ah of Al-Aqabah with the Prophet And the khatib of the Ansar of that day, the spokesperson, is none other than this man. In fact, when you read the, 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 the narrations of Siyah, a lot of times you hear you know, someone standing up and someone addressing them. The one that is telling them, if you read the long narration of Jabir Muslim Imam Ahmed, the one who is standing up and addressing them and saying to them, look, Khazraj and Aus, you understand that by taking in this man, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, all of your ties with the Arabs in Mecca and with all of the external forces are now severed. They're all going to come after you. You're going to lose everything, everything of this world. And basically he's saying to them, he actually verbalized it. If you're going to walk away, walk away now. It's better with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't take this pledge on and then abandon and forsake your prophet. If you're going to do this, do it now. What do we get in return? Al-Jannah, paradise. And he's the first one to extend his hand to the Prophet again to reaffirm that bay'ah. And the people follow As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, I, subhanAllah, think about, <laughs> just think about how much is resting on the shoulders of this 19-year-old. It, it really is a remarkable thought. And you wonder why Abbas radiallahu anhu is like, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not so sure I can hand you over to these people, Ya Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But with such confidence, with such love, expressing the best sentiments of the Ansar. And on that day, the Prophet ﷺ, out of the 70, he divided them into groups and he appointed 12 naqibs, 12 nuqaba, 12 leaders now. So they're now apportioned into 12, 12 groups, okay? As'ad is assigned as the naqib of Banu Najjar, as a leader of Banu Najjar. So again, it was six men, then it was 12, and now it is 70. But of course, they've brought, they're coming back from a place you know, in Medina now where they've established Islam in the hearts of many people. What is happening in between the two? If you go back and you watch the lecture of Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, As'ad radiallahu anhu is the one who hosts Mus'ab, who's about 21 years old, in Yathrib, right, in his home, and sets the scene for him. He tells him, that's the man you have to talk to, Usayd ibn Hulayd, you've got to go convince him brings the different leaders of Medina, calms them down so that Mus'ab can do his da'wah. So Mus'ab in this way represents the spirit of the Muhajireen. As'ad is the representative of the Ansar, introducing him to the leaders, getting him to the homes that he needs to go to, setting up the places for him to give his da'wah. SubhanAllah, imagine how much barakah was following those two men. Imagine how many angels were following those two men, going around the city and setting the stage until they brought Islam to all of the homes. Some accepted, the most, most of them accepted, and some rejected and stayed on their own ways. But they taught Islam to all of these different people. 
Now there's something else here. As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, being the chief of his people, was the first one to break idols. I mean, when I say the ultimate first amongst the Ansar, it's going to be first after first after first after first after first with this man, okay? You got to understand, there is now a hesitation. Okay, well, what do we do now? The, the, the idols are still in, around the Kaaba, right? No one has broken any idols yet. That's not going to come until Fatih Makkah. Asad is the first one to go back to his people and to officially break the idols, after which the other leaders of the tribes felt comfortable. If anyone is going to be killed, if anyone's going to face severe repercussions, it's going to be him, right? He does it. Sets that trend. And so they feel a comfort. You know what? Let's do it. We're not going to get struck by lightning. Horrible things are not going to happen to us. They do away with their idols because of As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now here is the most uh, stunning and one of the most beautiful parts of this. Was Jum'ah yet legislated? Was the Prophet Sallallahu praying Jum'ah in Mecca? No, the Prophet Sallallahu is trying to survive in Mecca. Right? As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu takes the day of Friday, the day of Jum'ah. The Jewish tribes would worship on the day of Saturday, and of course the Christians had the day of Sunday. So between the Sabbath and Sunday, As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the first person on the day of Friday to gather the people every single week to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then to pray two rak'ahs together in congregation behind Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So imagine Medina now and the makings of Jum'ah that was As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now by the way, Salat al-Dhuhr was still two rak'ahs at the time. So even before the official commandment of Jum'ah, Zuhr was still two rak'ahs. Zuhr would become four, four rak'ahs later on, okay? As well as Asr. So here you have, in fact, Isha. So it used to be just like when you pray Qasr, by the way, two, 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 and Maghrib was three, and then two. And then they were increased to four rak'ahs between Dhuhr, uh, Asr, and Isha. So they're gathering together. They're learning from Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Mus'ab leads them in their salah. I want you to think of the scene. Now imagine you're walking with an old man. All right? The old man is a man by the name of Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abdurrahman ibn Ka'b, he describes this. And this is so beautiful. He says that I was walking with my father after he was way advanced in his age. And at that point, he was blind. I mean, he was very, very, very old. He'd lost his vision. And I used to walk him to the salah. And he said every single time he heard the adhan for Jum'ah, what would he do? He would say, Allahumma khfirli as'ad. Oh Allah, forgive as'ad. Warhamhu. Warda'anhu. Oh Allah, forgive as'ad. Oh Allah, have mercy on as'ad. Oh Allah, be pleased with as'ad. Now the young man has no idea what's going on. You know, subhanAllah, when you walk into a community, right? And this is true for us even here. You, you might not know the history. Look how quick we forget our elders, sometimes when they're even amongst us, right? And their contributions and the legacy and what was laid down and all of that. You walk into a masjid that's just maybe 30, 40 years old, right? And that's going to become true with every generation. And you got that old person that remembers when it wasn't yet a masjid or when they used to pray in, in, in a parking lot somewhere and, you know, a strip mall somewhere. And then it became a masjid. And, they, they, they organically remember these people, these pioneers, and they start to seek forgiveness. They start to mention them in khayr, mention them in good. Rahman ibn Ka'ab, he's, he doesn't know what's going on here. Why As'ad? I, I've, he's never met him before. Who is As'ad and why are you 
seeking forgiveness for him. Just making dua every single Jum'ah. So he said, one time I asked him, I said, Oh my father, why is it that you keep on making dua for Asad ibn Zurara every time you hear the call for Jum'ah? Now at this point, Medina is an established place, right? There are thousands of people coming to Salat al-Jum'ah every week in the message of the Prophet And he said, Ya Bunayya, awwalu man jama'a bina fi yawm al-Jum'ah. Oh my son, the first person to gather us on the day of Jum'ah was Asad ibn Zurara. The first person to lead us in Jum'ah was Asad ibn Zurara. And this was before you had Adhan. <laughs> I mean, I want you to think about this. Before the Adhan was instituted, As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu gathered the people on the day of Friday and in, in this open land, and they would listen to a khutbah, they would listen to a sermon, either from Mus'ab or from him, and then they would pray behind Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And when Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu went back to Mecca, As'ad radiallahu anhu was their imam. So As'ad continued to lead them in salah. And how many people were they? 40 people. Which is why, by the way, in fiqh, you'll find that the Shafi'is, uh, for example, say that the least number for Jum'ah is 40 people because they, they base it on this narration of these 40 people, these 40 men that were gathering for salah early on in Al-Madinah, and of course that's not the, the case for the rest of the Madaha, but this is where it comes from, okay? So As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu leads the salah, while Mus'ab radiallahu anhu goes back to Mecca, and Mus'ab officially will approach now as a muhajir, as a migrant, with the rest of the sahaba in Mecca. The Prophet sallallahu makes his hijrah. And from the time the Prophet sallallahu gets to Medina, Rasulullah sallallahu wants to reestablish that connection with his maternal uncles, Banu Najjar. So when the Prophet ﷺ is going to move from place to place, he calls for his uncles from Banu Najjar to have that connection with them, sallallahu alayhi wa So for example, when you see the, the, the hadith, Khayru Dur al-Ansar, Banu Najjar, the best of the Ansar are Banu Najjar. He's, taught, he's praising, sallallahu alayhi wa his own family. Right? If you read that in Bukhari, you don't know why that comes. Like, is it because of something? Prophet ﷺ is praising his family, his uncles, and he was connecting, reconnecting with them, sallallahu alayhi wa as he did not grow up uh, with them. So the Prophet sallallahu is making his move, he's coming to this area, and As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu has set up the, the entire scene for the Prophet sallallahu to make his arrival. So who was his mu'akha with? Who was his pairing with? In the house of As'ad were none other than Talha ibn Ubaidullah and Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. What a, what a great two people to host, right? <laughs> so he hosted Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet stayed in Quba with a man by the name of Kuthum ibn al-Hadim, who we will talk about radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was the chief of Banu Amr ibn Auf. Now Rasulullah waited in Quba for about two weeks, okay? with slight ikhtilaf, slight difference in the exact number of days, but approximately two weeks, the Prophet ﷺ waited in Quba. He was waiting ﷺ for the arrival of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and then they make their entrance into Al-Madinah, officially into Al-Madinah. Ali radiallahu anhu was of course placed in charge of returning the amanat, returning the trusts of the people of Mecca that were in the possession of the Prophet ﷺ. So he's in Quba sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, staying with Kulthum ibn al-Hadim, dividing his time between the different tribes, between the different uh, leaders at the time. And then on that last week, he spends that time praying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
And on Friday, the Prophet ﷺ calls for his uncles from Banu Najjar. And he says, let us proceed now to Al-Madinah. Let's go to the center of the city. As Rasulullah is walking with his people, with his family now, the Ansar are lining up the entire path from Quba to where the Prophet is going to eventually stop. You know, this last time I went to Umrah, they, they established Mamsha Quba, a walking path. You can go from literally the Masjid of the Prophet uh, to Quba, just walking. It's a straight path now. Okay? Of course, shopping malls and all types of stuff like that. But the point is, is that, you know, you think about subhanAllah, just the people in excitement and anticipation welcoming the Prophet in and giving their salam to the Prophet. And as Rasulullah is walking on that way, Banu Salim, they asked the Prophet if he would stop and he would pray with them. And the Prophet loved the Ansar. And of course, as we said with, on the day of Eid, one of the, the reasons why he'd go on the different paths was to say salam to all of the people and to, to give himself to the Ansar. The Prophet accepted their request and he prayed the first Salatul Jumu'ah with them. So Rasulullah led his first Jumu'ah there in Banu Salim, which is now known as, who can guess, Masjid Al Jumu'ah. <laughs> Masjid al-Jum'ah. So if you go to Medina, Masjid al-Jum'ah comes out of the story. Rasulullah could have made his way uh, there to al-Madina, but he stops there, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he prays uh, Salat al-Jum'ah with at least a few hundred people there in what is now Masjid al-Jum'ah. And Rasulullah mounts his camel once again, and he continues to go towards al-Madina. And of course, everyone is asking the Prophet to stay with them. Everyone is asking where the Prophet is going to build his eventual masjid. And Rasulullah said that Allah will guide the camel to its place. SubhanAllah, as he gets down and the camel starts to go towards the place that Allah has decreed to go, it kneels down in this garden that belongs to two orphans from or under the guardianship of a man from Banu Najjar, As'ad ibn Zurara, Sahel and Suhail. This land, this area, when the camel uh, knelt down, he, وسلم, he, he called the two boys, or two orphan boys. Now remember, people used to exploit the orphans, right? Just get out of here, take some money, right? Here's a few dates, if even kick them out. That's what used to happen. That's why the, the emphasis in the, in, in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah of the Prophet Yatim, not to consume and exploit the wealth of an orphan. But what does the Prophet do? The Prophet starts to offer them a price. And they're like, Ya Rasulullah, no, this is hibatan, this, this is a gift. We don't want anything from you, Ya Rasulullah. But the Prophet refused to accept, to, to take it for free. And the Prophet bought it from those two orphans for a very high price. The tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the tawfiq that came from Allah azza wa is that that very land where the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu would be established was where As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu was gathering the people on the day of Jum'ah before the Prophet sallallahu arrived in Medina. So now you know why you're walking with that old man saying, Allahumma khfiri As'ad. Allahumma anhu. Because he remembers this is what we used to do. <laughs> Subhanallah. And now that masjid is being built there. 
Masjidu Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This empty land becomes this beautiful masjid to which we all have such a deep attachment. SubhanAllah, as we look towards what happens at that point, and, and this is something that is very profound about the Messenger وسلم, is the wafa of the Messenger, وسلم, the loyalty of the Prophet. وسلم. If you did something for the Prophet وسلم, and you lived long enough, the Prophet وسلم, would always point you out in the gathering. And he'd mention that, and he'd, and he'd praise you, and he'd pray upon you. And if you died and people would forget your mention, Rasulullah would revive your mention. So now you have this man, first person from Medina to accept Islam, the first person to give bay'ah to the Prophet from Medina, first person to, to, to take Mus'ab in and set the stage in Medina. A 19 or 20 year old, mind you, just keep on remembering that young people in here as well, right? Asgharuhum, Umran, Akbaruhum, Ilman, as they used to say, the, the youngest of them in age and the, and, and the most knowledgeable of them or the most advanced of them in knowledge. Uh, this young man occupies such a place amongst them. The first person to lead them on the day of Jum'ah in Al-Madinah, even before the Prophet ﷺ arrives in Al-Madinah. And now that place becomes the place where the Prophet ﷺ gathers them. Now, this is very exciting for him, right? He prepared this entire civilization. He set the stage with Mus'ab anhu, of course, being the greatest spokesperson. SubhanAllah, within the time period while they were still building the masjid of the Prophet Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu gets extremely sick. The qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, they called it Da'il Khanqa. And I was, I was looking at what that means, right? Uh, and, and, you know, whether it's swollen lymph nodes, but it's something, a swollen throat, but something deeply painful in his throat that was causing... Uh, great stress to him, right? So he was diseased with something. And at that time, they did al-kay, they would cauterize, okay? Which is very severe. I mean, that's how swollen his throat became. So he became extremely ill. And they performed on him al-kay, cauterization. And the masjid was not even finished yet. Before Badr or Uhud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu would not live to be a part of any of it. He dies radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Shawwal in the very first year of the Hijrah. When was Ramadan legislated? The second year. He didn't even live to see a Ramadan in Medina. He set the stage. I mean, this is his, this is all his work, right? That's happening here. And subhanAllah, He's going to pass away. He doesn't live to see Ramadan. We don't have a single hadith from him. There's one questionable narration, and Ibn Hajar rahimahullah said that one we can't take from him. It's not, it's mursal. We can't say it's from As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu because he died so early. This man who set the stage, this man who could have sat with you and told you everything about how it all happens. And subhanAllah, there he is dying in front of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Rasulullah himself washes him. The Prophet Sallallahu wraps him in three garments. The Prophet Sallallahu prays on him. This becomes the first janazah. SubhanAllah. The first janazah. Khadija radiallahu anha, janazah was not prayed on her. She died before Salat al-Janazah. The first janazah. 
where Rasulullah stands in front of him. Some of the scholars said there may have been one other before, Allah knows best, but multiple scholars say the very first janazah in Islam, certainly the first one in Al-Madinah, is Rasulullah leading the Sahaba in that place as the masjid is still in development upon As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then this is the one that really, 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 really gives me uh, goosebumps. My favorite place in Medina is actually Al-Baqir. Can you imagine Al-Baqir empty? You know where this really hit me? It was when we just opened Gardens of Mercy, the, our, our cemetery here, and we had the first janazah. I was like, I'd never been to a graveyard where we had the first grave there. Imagine the first janazah, the first grave in Al-Baqir. This massive cemetery that we ask Allah to allow us to be buried in. Amongst the family of the Prophet amongst the wives of the Prophet amongst the companions of the Prophet amongst the great scholars of this ummah, the Salaf. I mean, that is the place that the believer longs to be in. The first man that the Prophet carries and the companions carry, and the Prophet buries all by himself in what would become Jannat al-Baqir, the graveyard that is full of the Salihin. So you think about how full it is now, and you think about if you were living in that time and you'd walk by in the masjid that is being developed and you're still facing Al-Aqsa, <laughs> and you look and you see that one grave that's over there on the side, and it's As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. If you remember whether Uthman ibn Nadarun radiallahu anhu, some said he was the first and, and the, correct recon- the, the correct way to reconcile is the first of the Muhajirin because he died uh, sometime after that, definitely not in the first year or the first few months after the coming of the Prophet He has no male children, so he has no descendants in that sense. There is no lineage that traces back to him, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. As for his own uh, orphan daughters, because he was a young man, so his three daughters were very young, Al-Fari'ah, Habiba, and Kapsha. The Prophet himself takes in these three girls. So these three, and this is the loyalty of the Prophet these three young girls lived amongst the wives of the Prophet This is how he responds to Ihsan. And the Prophet himself sponsored them until they were of an age of marriage and the Prophet himself married these three off. So he took responsibility for them. The final thing, the most beautiful incidents, subhanAllah, you find in the narrations of this man, As'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Banu Najjar, they call the Prophet forward and they're in a predicament. They say, Ya Rasulullah, we lost our leader. We don't have a naqib anymore. So you have to appoint a successor. I mean, they don't, we don't even have the mechanism yet to appoint a successor amongst us. So Ya Rasulullah, choose the next person amongst us. And you know what the Prophet does? He says, Ana naqibukum. I will be your naqib. I will represent Banu Najjar. SubhanAllah, and Banu Najjar, we're like Allahu Akbar. <laughs> the Prophet sits as our naqib as our representative now. Some of the scholars said, What a praise of As'ad radiallahu anhu that there is no fitting successor to him. And the Prophet steps in and says, I'll be your naqib. Ana naqibukum. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. May Allah forgive him and accept from him. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be 
with him and with the Prophet Sallallahu and his family and his companions and the Shuhada and the Salihin. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.